Welcome to this episode of Back to the Point. I'm your host, Rick Goulding from BC High's class of 2004. And today on the pod, we had Joe Good, who's a member of the class of 1984 and the senior director of global corporate communications at CVS Health. Um, He and I just had a great chat about uh, not only his BC High story, but kind of his career path, which as you'll hear in just a a second here... um, Took some twists and turns, uh, and he's he's got some interesting insight on that, and and how those twists and turns led him to where he is today, and um, how the foundation of BC High also helped him on that path. So um, it was a great chat. We 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 talked about a lot. We covered a lot of ground, um, and uh, I had a, I had a lot of fun. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, just a quick plug: if if uh, anybody wants to send us feedback or suggestions for guests. Um, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with us um, at BC High Eagles on Instagram. I'm at Rick Golding three, uh, BC High or back to the point at bchigh.edu is the website that we have dedicated to this podcast. So uh, any suggestions for guests, feedback that you have, if you just want to drop us a note and tell you tell us how awesome this uh, this pod is, we're, we'd love to hear that too. Um, you can review us on Apple Podcasts as well. We've Leave thoughts there. We're, we're open to it all. So uh, reach out. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have ideas for people to come on. All right. That's enough out of me. Let's get to Joe. All right. Welcome to this episode of Back to the Point. Uh, as I said in the intro, I'm your host, Rick Goulding from BC High's class of 2000. And four, and today on the pod, I'm very lucky to be joined by Joe Good, who is a member of the class of 1984 and who's the senior director of uh, corporate communications for CVS. Um, so Joe is joining us today uh, via Zoom, as you all know. But uh, Joe, we're very excited to have you on. How are you doing? Rick, great to be with you. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, a shout out to the class of 84. And especially Bob Foreman, who uh, I believe recently joined the board. And I know Bob is going to provide, uh, uh, you know, wonderful leadership uh, uh, to the school. And uh, we're, we're just proud to have him represent our, represent our class. And uh, uh, thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah. Um, there you go, 1984. You got a little shout out on the pod today. So, <laughs> uh, Joe, I, you know, I always I always think about where I want to start uh, these conversations, and I think a good place to start um, with you is to actually start um, kind of back at the beginning. and And I'd I'd love to start with how you ended up at BC High. What what the path to get you in the door on Marcy Boulevard was like? Yeah, so you know, I'm like a lot of kids, I think, uh, from the city of Boston who were fortunate enough to t- attend BC High. You know, I-, I always describe myself as that quintessential Irish Catholic kid from the hard scrabble streets of West Roxbury, um, and grew up with parents who instilled the values of family and education, hard work, and community, all of those things that uh, were reinforced at BC High. But, you know, I could have gone to Catholic memorials, Zavarian, Boston, Latin, but, and I saw all of the schools, but uh, BC High was, was 
really impressive to me for a number of reasons. Um, the facilities were top notch. I was so impressed. I remember seeing the the uh, uh, the chemistry lab on my visit and and said, "Wow, this is this is wonderful." But more importantly, um, you know, the diversity of students to bring together kids from the suburbs with kids from the uh, city um, as uh, 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 was a wonderful experience. Um, and now, you know, now you think about the school and it's very global in nature uh, as the world gets smaller. Um, you know, the values and the humanities-based education uh, that the Jesuits uh, delivered um, was, was something that attracted me. And then, you know, the, the uh, level of engagement and passion among the faculty uh, and the active alumni network. I had two uncles one who went to BC High in the 30s and one who went to BC High in the 60s. When it was coming down to decision time, you know, you know, their experience really weighed on me. Uh, and, and they said, you know, th this education is going to open up so many doors for you. And, and that made all the difference. And, and you know, there's, there, there was a reason why I committed myself to travel 90 minutes every day back and forth uh, from West Roxbury. And as you and I were talking about earlier, why I keep BC High on my resume, because it resonates with so many of us uh, who are part of this 150-year tradition um, of developing talented young men who serve others and serve their communities. Um, uh, and, and it just was a, a wonderful experience. And, and my experience at BC High casts a long shadow uh, on my career and, and my success. And, and I know we'll get into that, but uh, that's what really drew me to the, to the school. And, and uh, I'm glad I did so. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so during your time at the school, you know, that that's kind of um, what you just described was the process of the process of getting you there. When, once you were there looking back, what are some things that stand out from your experience um, in terms of, you know, experiences, friends, teachers, all of the above. Yeah. So putting putting my 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 career journey in, into that context, I, I think I always marveled at the, how effective teachers were at communications. You know, Steve Hughes was uh, my homeroom teacher. Uh, he was my football coach. Um, he was my history teacher. Nick Argento. Um, you know, uh, was a wonderful economics teacher. Um, Father Jim Walsh opened the, the world to literature and, and helped me become a better writer. Jim Cotter uh, as an advisor and, and, and coach. All of these folks understood the power of narrative and storytelling to enrich the curriculum they were delivering. And, and that always uh, stuck with me that how important good communications is as a skill set, regardless of what career path you choose, um, whether it's being a good parent, whether it's being involved in your community. I think the art of communication is a wonderful uh, skill set to have, um, uh, you know, across every dimension of your life. So that was one thing that um, looking back, I, I walked away with and, and was, was struck by. The other thing is BC High instilled um, important values, the values of truth and honesty and integrity, um, the values of doing the right thing, 
being socially aware of your community and the world around you and, and trying to make it a better place, right? Being a man for others, as we, as we like to say. And that informs me today as a public relations practitioner. You know, I like to think that a good corporate communications leader serves uh, as a connector, a collaborator, and often as a conscience uh, of an organization, and um, and and those are those are things I learned at, at BC High, and and those are things that uh, stay with me today. Yeah, and I, I think I think you touched on a lot there. That's that's really important, and obviously something um, that a lot of folks take from the school. But um, I, I I wanted to I wanted to touch back on a couple of things that you had mentioned a little earlier. Um, one of the things that I wanted. To, to, to touch on was um, the, the role of, you, you mentioned two uncles and kind of your family. I wanted, I wanted I was hoping you could talk a little bit about uh, the role of your family in, in shaping uh, your BC High experience. Yeah, look, uh, as I said, uh, you know, uh, obviously uh, coming from a, a, an Irish Catholic family, uh, a Catholic education was important. Um, you know, we 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 visited all of the Catholic schools uh, back in the '80s, from Don Bosco and Zaverian and, and others. Um, and and I I think I th I think BC High just had a different feel to it. Um, uh, and and I saw the impact that BC High had on my uncles uh, and their experience. You know, I don't talk a lot about my college experience all that much. BC High always resonates with me. Um, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, you and I were talking earlier, I, I keep BC High on my resume and on my LinkedIn page, not because I want to remind people how old I am, uh, but rather uh, it's an open invitation to uh, uh, students and alumni who want to seek out other alumni for guidance and advice and help uh, or engagement. And, and I think that network is what uh, my uncles always talked about that they always would say BC High speaks uh, and, 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 uh, and has an impact all the way out in Pretoria, right? Um, that's how vast the network is. And, and I think it was that that really drew me uh, to this wonderful community. And it's a community that I stay in touch with today, whether it's you know, going over there for a football game, um, catching up with the class of 84 at our reunions and, and even in between our reunions. Um, you know, we've got our own LinkedIn page and stay in touch. Um, it's that family, it's that community that I think uh, truly sold me on the school, um, uh, even beyond the wonderful values-based education that I received. Gotcha, yeah. That's impressive that you guys have your own, uh, the class of 84, I should say, has their own LinkedIn page. We're pretty tight. And, uh, and I, uh, I attribute that to the leadership of uh, Luke Gonzalez, uh, who is uh, just extremely, um, just a great guy, uh, an extremely active alum, uh, alumnus. And, and um, uh, he, keeps us, he keeps us engaged and, and keeps us connected. Right. Well, hey, this is this has been a uh, an a all star lineup of name dropping from the class of eighty four. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm enjoying that. 
Uh, class of 2004, we're going to have to look at uh, getting our own LinkedIn page started. So we're going to have to think about that. Um, uh, well, so you 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 mentioned um, that you don't you don't talk a lot about your your college experience. You talk more about your BC High experience. I, I feel the exact same way. I I tend to you know uh, tack back to BC High more than I tack back to um, BC. Um, and that's not a knock on BC. I'm not saying that's just the way that it, this all landed with me, but, um, I'm actually going to ask you to talk a little bit about your college experience. Uh, so once you wrapped up your time at BC high, you know, take us kind of into the next chapter of, uh, of the Joe good story. Well, uh, uh, when thinking about, uh, the college experience, uh, Mr. O'Rourke, I'll drop another name, was was <laughs> very instrumental in recruiting a bunch of us to take a look at Stonehill College, you know, another fine liberal arts institution here in Massachusetts, um, you know, uh, driven by the Holy Cross uh, experience um, and uh, or the Holy Cross Fathers, I should say. Um, and I like the I like the small campus environment. I like that it was close to home. I mean, we, we tend to be somewhat provincial uh, growing up in Massachusetts. So being close to home was, was a, a nice ad. Um, so he drew me to, to Stonehill. I liked uh, what I saw there and I liked the curriculum that uh, I wanted to pursue um, and spent a, a great four years there. And, and what I loved about, about Stonehill, and, and again, not to knock Stonehill, um, was it was small enough that I got to really know uh, a big portion of my class. Whereas if you went to a big, you know, a big school with, you know, thousands and thousands of students, uh, it, it's tough to get to know everybody. So I have wonderful relationships still on my Stonehill experience. But in terms of, of, of the, uh, the education I received there, I pursued, you know, communications, especially uh, political communications um, and the art of advocacy and influence, um, and um, uh, not knowing that I would pursue a career in in, in PR or marketing, um, I, I really wanted to pursue a career in journalism, um, which I eventually uh, went on to do. Uh, so that was a, a wonderful four years. I played football, um, was involved in clubs. Um, and established just some wonderful relationships that I uh, that I maintain today. So, um, with respect to your time at Stonehill, how did you feel? Um, you know, your your time at, at BC High uh, figured into your experience at Stonehill. You know, whether academically, uh, personally, or preparing you for professional life. Yeah, I think BC High was a wonderful foundation and prepared me quite well for the college experience. You know, um, I, I, one of the things that you walked away from at BC High was the art of study and, and preparation. Um, you know, uh, whether it was writing long papers um, and analysis um, uh, um, and setting a schedule, uh, or note-taking, you know, I think note-taking is a wonderful part of the BC High curriculum, right? Um, yep. uh, and that serves you well in, in college because you're juggling so many things and you're juggling uh, many distractions. Um, and so I, I think the foundation I received at BC High uh, prepped me quite well for, for college. Um, the other thing, too, is um, 
you know, that Catholic edu education at BC High translated quite well at Stonehill, which was also a Catholic education. So uh, my fellow uh, students at Stonehill came from very similar experiences, and, and, and that, was, uh, that was wonderful. And I think that helped to establish, you know, long-lasting friendships, um, uh, uh, you know, right off the bat. So, um, so yeah, I think the transition was, was seamless. Good. Yeah, good. Um, you touched on um, the, the, the field that you were going into while you were studying at Stonehill. So I'd like to take the, the, the conversation there next. I, I want to talk, touch on, um, you know, and I, we talked quickly yesterday, just as like a quick pre-pod call. And um, I told you during that call that I, um, that I pulled up your, your LinkedIn page um, and I noticed uh, that you worked as a White House correspondent, um, and uh, I, I was hoping we could go there. Could you tell us a little bit about um, your experience, you know, using your education to go into that field? Yeah. You know, I, I was, uh, Mrs. Madden will love this. There's another name drop, uh, my math <laughs> teacher at BC High. Uh, I was always the creative type, right? Um, I didn't set out to go into... Uh, accounting or anything and, and really didn't set out to, to get into marketing or public relations or journalism. Um, uh, uh, but after college, you know, I thought about my skill set and, and I wanted to be the next Peter Jennings. And, and you're probably too young to know the ABC News anchor. Oh, um, I remember him. I remember Peter. <laughs> but oh, yeah. Peter, Peter and, and I became friends with Peter. He, he was the quintessential broadcast journalist. Um, uh, in addition to the fact that we both had great hair, right? Um, but, but, but my path began in broadcast journalism, first as a reporter at a very small radio station in Laconia, New Hampshire. I was fortunate enough to have three very good mentors, all of whom worked for the networks, and, and they helped to accelerate my broadcast education and skill set. Um, and that quickly transitioned into a move into a major market radio station in Boston, WEEI and, and, and um, uh, WVBF. Uh, they were all new stations at the time. Um, and then that translated into a move to Washington, D.C., uh, where I worked for a, an emerging uh, network um, uh, that was owned by the U.S. Media Corp. called Standard News, um, and, and that was a wonderful experience. I, I, I traveled on Air Force One covering uh, the first part of, or the last part of Bush 41 and the first four years of, of the Clinton administration. Um, that took me to covering uh, some of the, the, uh, uh, the wars we were in, um, the peace treaties, some of the most important public policy initiatives like healthcare reform. So I was on my way at the time in my mid-20s, I thought um, that I would one, be, one day be on the evening news. But the industry at the time went through an incredible period of change um, and a period of disruption where the news industry was consolidating. You know, uh, Disney bought ABC, um, General Electric bought NBC. Um, and so there were a lot of, there was a lot of consolidation, a lot of layoffs, um, and, and that prompted me to have to sort of transition my career. And that's how I got into, into public relations. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, 
my experience in, in Washington and my experience in journalism was, was wonderful. Um, you know, lots of great stories. Every day you, you, never, you, you never knew um, the history that you were going to witness in terms of our country, whether it was, you know, um, uh, the Gulf War, whether it was, um, you know, um, uh, I wasn't there for Monica Lewinsky, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, uh, bringing in a new, uh, you know, a president who represented a different generation. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was a, a, a wonderful, wonderful experience. And it, and it served me well um, as I transitioned into the public relations space. Yeah, and, and, and we will definitely um, get there. The only thing that I want to ask, because I'm, I'm thinking of the folks listening to this, and I'm, I'm thinking they probably want to hear one really good, really interesting story from your time uh, working as a White House correspondent. So what's one thing crazy uh, that you were kind of reporting on or witnessed while you were at, while you were working as a White House correspondent? Yeah, one of the, one of the most interesting assignments uh, that I was given was uh, uh, our relationship as a country with Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, this was in, I think, 92, 93. Um, and Haiti at the time was uh, being led by a military strongman. Um, and the Clinton administration wanted to improve the lives of the people of Haiti and decided to go in and forcefully take the military strongman out and insert uh, John Batron Aristide that could bring more of a, a democratic government to the island and improve things for the people of Haiti. So um, I was embedded with a media pool covering uh, that military exercise. It started with you know being um, uh, quarantined for about a week with the general and the troops that were actually going to deploy uh, into Haiti. So these, so I spent time on an aircraft carrier getting to know these these young soldiers and their leaders who were preparing to go in uh, to to essentially do battle. Um, uh, and then uh, about a week and a half later, found found myself in the well of an amphibious assault vehicle with a bunch of Navy SEALs um, right before dawn coming off of the aircraft carrier uh, and heading towards um, uh, Port-au-Prince to begin this this, this military exercise. So as you can imagine, as a 20-something wearing a Kevlar helmet and a flak jacket, wondering what is going to happen here. (laughs) Um, And as we approached the beaches of Port-au-Prince and the Bay, uh, President Clinton had actually called off the military exercise and treated it more as a peaceful occupation. And so when we landed, um, you know, uh, there were a number of of, of, uh, Haitian military personnel there to greet us, uh, it was indeed a friendly occupation. Um, we peacefully removed the military strongman, and I spent the better part of a couple of weeks covering that story from all angles. You know, what was it like for the people of of Haiti to now have a democratic leader uh, in Aristide? Um, and and that was a that was just a, a great experience um, as a as a young reporter. 
Yeah, that sounds incredible. I can't even imagine what that was like at 20 something. <laughs> so we, uh, we touched on, you know, going from your role as a White House correspondent and, and a journalist into um, public relations. And I know that that public relations portion of your story started in banking. Um, so I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how you transitioned and what and and you know what was the impetus for transitioning into the PR slash banking world and what that was like. Yeah. So so uh, going from uh, being a, a White House correspondent um, and transitioning into public relations, um, you know, they're related. I mean, I think my skills as a journalist were very valuable in the private sector at the time, where a lot of companies, banks. Uh, healthcare companies, big pharma, you know, uh, the industries were were seeking specialists at the time who understood how to navigate and leverage the media to build brand and to build reputation. And so that transition led to a rewarding career in PR for some of the largest companies in the world, including Fleet Boston Financial, which eventually was uh, acquired by Bank of America. Um, I then transitioned as a PR practitioner to the United States Golf Association, and then presently with CVS Health. But, but that first transition to Fleet Boston, I was fortunate enough um, where banking was going through a period of change where marketing and communications was becoming a critical discipline uh, to communicate and engage a customer base. You know, banking was becoming more innovative. Um, uh, there were more resources and capabilities that uh, banks could offer the consumer and, and the B2B client. And that required marketing and communications. And so I was fortunate enough to join uh, Fleet Boston at a time when uh, they were a super regional um, a banking institution. They were going through an incredible period of, of M&A uh, and they grew uh, into having, you know, to really being the, the, um, the omnipresent uh, financial institution across New England and the Northeast, uh, led by Terry Murray. Um, Ann Finucane um, uh, was uh, the chief marketing officer and a wonderful mentor to me. She's actually on the CVS Health Board of Directors now, and, and we keep in touch. Um, but it was a great transition. Um, you know, it was a, a place that had lots of resources that I could take that um, understanding of the media and, and make an incredible contribution to, uh, to a company that was going through an incredible period of change. And I, and I think, you know, there's an important lesson here for, you know, anyone starting out or, or frankly, anyone, you know, in the middle of their career, you know, my career path was not linear. And I don't think career paths have to be linear um, or cookie cutter, you know, and I always tell you know, tell people that ask me and, and ask for career advice, be open to those left-hand turns, uh, be open to change and, and taking risks and pursuing new opportunities because that really enriches your skill set and your experience and you become more valuable um, for your existing or, or future employers. No, that that's, a, that's definitely helpful. I, I think that there's a lot of... Um... I think that folks sometimes get a little uh, settled into a mindset where you have to choose early and stay on that path. 
and really drill down and, and stay on, uh, you know, as I said, one path. But um, I think it's helpful to hear that, that sometimes you can take those left-hand turns and, and still everything turns out, you know, well. Uh, so I, I mentioned this just a minute ago. You went from banking to USGA. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Not only that transition, but also um, what your experience with USGA was like. Yeah. So, so I spent the better part of 15 years in banking, uh, and, and could have finished my career in banking, um, and, and, and got to, um, uh, got to work on a lot of interesting things. Uh, one of those areas that I worked on was bank of America's sports marketing programs, uh, bank of America as a, as a national, um, uh, banking, uh, institution with, stores uh, or branches and, and locations all across the country and around the world, they had a rich portfolio of sports marketing relationships from NASCAR to the NFL and Major League Baseball to the Olympics. Uh, they had a rich uh, arts and cultural uh, set of programs and relationships with museums uh, around the world. And I got to work on those uh, relate work with those relationships to deliver the bank's brand and reputation um, and interesting programs for our customers. Um, you know, for example, one of the things I, I got to promote and roll out was um, back in, I think 2004 bank of America became the official bank of, of baseball. And we established marketing relationships with Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, Little League Baseball, and the Hall of Fame. And using the equity of baseball and America's uh, love for the game, we were able to deliver products and services and establish a unique relationship with baseball's fan base at all levels mm -hmm. uh, to deliver um, the Bank of America brand. So that was so. I had established a relationship as, uh, or a, a reputation rather, as a PR practitioner that understood the intersection of brand and sports and, and sort of the consumer landscape. And the USGA at the time, this was back in 2011, and we were right in the midst of the financial crisis or recovering from the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. um, the USGA wanted to reinvigorate their brand and their reputation and their leadership in the game of golf. The USGA is, uh, you know, was an institution that was over a hundred years old. They were the governing body of golf uh, here in the United States and in Mexico. They were a companion partner to the Royal and Ancient, who oversaw the game of golf um, in Europe and beyond. And so, you know, they had. They felt that they had lost their luster, that they weren't communicating, um, uh, you know, their governance presence and their capabilities um, uh, and their leadership to the game in an effective way. So they recruited me to come uh, out of Bank of America to leverage both my PR and marketing experience and truly help build a contemporary marketing communications function um, uh, at the USGA. So I moved from Boston to Basking Ridge, New Jersey, New Jersey, where the USGA is located and went about really, I think, drawing on my um, corporate communications experience and my knowledge as a journalist 
to the types of capabilities that the USGA truly needed to deliver their leadership uh, and to communicate their capabilities to the game of golf. And, and that was a wonderful experience. So, you know, think about working on the U.S. Open and their other 12 major championships and dealing with an army of, of golf journalists and sports journalists. Or, um, you know, one of the tricky things that um, I helped the USGA to navigate uh, on a couple of fronts, one was introducing you know, some, some different rules of the game and expertly uh, educating both the professional uh, golfer, but also the recreational golfer uh, on Main Street about these new rules. And that required a, a tremendous amount of communications and marketing expertise. Mm. Um, and then helping the USGA navigate things that they might not have thought about um, uh, and things that were happening in the game where they could play a leadership role. For example, um, we saw at the time the game of golf really begin to diminish. Growth was waning. Uh, golf courses were losing money and shutting down. You know, bringing a research arm to the USGA so they could understand what were those barriers to the game's growth um, and to an invigorated fan base. Um, and what could the USGA do uh, to bring programs and initiatives to address some of those barriers to the growth of the game? So we worked on things like pace of play. We developed marketing campaigns that encouraged people to play nine because sometimes playing 18 holes just didn't fit into, you know, your disposable time as a parent or, a, you know, a busy, uh, you know, professional. Um, we addressed the sustainability of the game, given you know climate change um, uh, and global warming, and how could we help golf courses uh, better manage uh, their agronomy and their use of water? So um, it was really a wonderful experience. Um, I enjoyed it, um, and I think I achieved over the course of four or five years what I wanted to achieve in terms of putting in place a contemporary marketing communications function. And then the time came, I think, where I wanted to get back to corporate America uh, uh, and, um, uh, and was curious about other challenging um, assignments that I could, uh, that I could pursue as a, as a public relations professional. But it was a wonderful experience and, and, uh, and another example of don't be afraid to take risks. You know, I think what attracted me to the USGA at the end of the day was you don't very often get an opportunity to build something from the ground floor up. I mean, being at a company like Bank of America, you know, the public relations and marketing departments were very institutionalized. You could make some improvements uh, on the margins, mm -hmm. um, uh, but for the most part, they, they ran like a, you know, a Swiss watch. But okay. at the USGA, I got to come in and build something. And, um, and you don't often get that opportunity in one's career. So while I was taking a career risk, um, I was also learning a new skill set and, and building my skill set as someone that could uh, uh, drive strategy, build organizations, recruit and develop talent. Um, and that was exciting and interesting to me. No, that sounds, that sounds great. Uh, it sounds like that would be uh, challenging, but also a lot of fun. 
Um, so now, now you're at CVS and can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what you do there, um, your day to day and, uh, you know, what it's, what it's been like kind of in these, uh, in these, um, different times that we're in right now with, in terms of COVID and everything else. Yeah. So, so after I uh, decided to leave the USGA, I was sort of researching, you know, where's the next industry and where could I bring my skill set and my experience and, and healthcare quickly rose to the top of the list. You know, healthcare plays a fundamental role in our economy, uh, in our personal lives. I mean, it's, you know, it's like one fifth of the U.S. economy. Um, and what's more important uh, besides your family and money <laughs> than your health? Um, and, and healthcare is going through a, a tremendous period of, of change and disruption. And with change and disruption and evolution, uh, often comes the need for good communications and good marketing. And so uh, I was recruited uh, by uh, the folks at CVS Health uh, who were on the front lines of bringing uh, transformation and reinventing healthcare uh, at the retail level um, and came in and as a senior director of, of corporate communications. And, and my role is to really work with our CEO and his management team, um, and to look at, at the enterprise view of the company and how can we deliver through the media, through social media, through influencers like elected officials and regulators and community leaders, deliver the CVS Health brand and reputation. And I joined CVS on the heels of perhaps one of the most boldest corporate decisions to ever come, come into the marketplace. And that was the company's decision to eliminate the sale of tobacco and cigarettes. So at the time, CVS was coming off the acquisition of Caremark, which is mm -hmm. you know, our, our pharmacy benefit management business. And that's your sort of prescription drug plans that we sell to major corporations and employers. Mm -hmm. um, they were looking at uh, acquiring other companies and really evolving from sort of that corner drugstore and sundry to truly a healthcare company. Mm -hmm. And if you were going to call yourself CVS Health, you couldn't sell uh, one of the most dangerous things to one's health, and that's cigarettes and tobacco. <laughs> so we had to make that bold decision, a $2 billion decision, by the way, to eliminate tobacco and cigarettes. And as you can imagine, that required a tremendous amount of marketing and communications to pull that off. Mm -hmm. um, and, and looking back on that, um, uh, it was a bold move. I think it really put CVS on the map as a, um, as a healthcare leader. Mm -hmm. It opened up the door for us to have, you know, legitimate conversations with companies and, and would-be uh, business partners uh, about uh, about working with us uh, that we weren't just a local pharmacy mm -hmm. and um, uh, and that was just a wonderful thing to work on and and really set the stage for I think the role that CVS is playing today in healthcare whether it's helping the country navigate a global pandemic um, whether it's uh, addressing you know. Uh, uh, the cost of prescription medication or the overall cost of healthcare. 
Um, but but healthcare is a hot sector right now, and I think it was the right move for me for me to make. And and um, it's been really exciting, especially especially now um, with uh, uh, with the pandemic and the virus. You know, CVS is really on the front lines of of helping the country move forward in so many different ways. And you, you're you're touching on something that I was hoping we could get a chance to talk about today, and I, I think this is a good time to get into it. Um, you know, one of one of the things that that's come up a lot, um, you know, in discussions uh, nowadays is the role of corporations as quote unquote citizens of the world. You know, the, the, this idea of corporate citizenship. Um, as someone who's communicating, um, you know, in, with the media and um, with the world, frankly, on behalf of CVS, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how you approach that concept of um, corporate citizenship and, um, you know, how, how you position that kind of in your thinking uh, when it comes to communications. Yeah, you know, sometimes PR professionals get a bad rap. Um, that, you know, we're spin meisters or we, we serve up propaganda for an organization. And there are, there are those types of PR practitioners, but I think the, the, a a strong corporate communications leader, uh, need to serve as connectors, collaborators, and often the conscience of an organization. You know, we have to serve as an ethical sounding board for our CEOs, uh, our management teams, our board of directors, and ensure that the company is doing the right thing. Um, uh, and, you know, what's interesting is uh, I think we're at the anniversary of, of, of a year ago when 181 CEOs, including my CEO, Larry Merlo, signed a letter um, stating that stakeholder primacy is now going to outweigh the importance of the Milton Friedman-inspired shareholder primacy. See, Mr. Argento, I learned something in your economics class. Um, uh, That corporations today need to do the right thing for their employees, do the right thing for their customers, um, get involved in improving uh, the communities in which they're conducting business um, and delivering products and services to. And, and, and that's a new thing right now. And I don't think we're going to step back from that, mostly because of people like us that have graduated from BC High or the students that are at BC High now, the, millennial, the millennials and the Gen Zs, because I think the generation coming up has a utopian view of the world. And I think they're demanding that brands and companies that they want to uh, uh, engage with act accordingly. And so as part of my job, I need to bring a bit of that world inside CVS Health and help the management team understand, you know, what's happening politically, mm-hmm. economically, you know, what are those social and cultural tensions and forces that are at work that are at work in the marketplace and how do we as a company CVS Health get involved in advancing some of those agendas. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, I think everybody was struck um, and saddened to see uh, the George Floyd incident. Uh, And certainly the parade of similar incidences that happened before and after that. And so 
a company, a Fortune 5 company like CVS Health, we can't ignore those things that happen in the marketplace because that affects our customers. Those things affect our colleagues. And we have a responsibility as a, as a leading company um, to get involved and help advance um, uh, some of these things that need to be addressed in society. So corporate communication helps an organization think about what can we do to address an issue like racial inequality. And we announced, uh, you know, a enterprise-wide $600 million initiative where we could invest in communities to advance racial equality, whether that's bringing better health care into communities of color where there are healthcare deserts, whether it's investing in uh, improving public housing because oftentimes where you live and your zip code can affect your health. So how could we be relevant to a large issue that's playing out in society? That's where corporate communications and public relations comes in. And going back to my comment about um, the art of public relation not being the art of spin or propaganda. If I do my job well, I get up every day and I find ways that my company can tell the truth and use its capabilities and, and, and prove that truth and prove our leadership with action that makes an impact and makes a difference rather than you know, a bunch of hollow words or promises. And so I, I, I think that's one of the rewarding things about, uh, about working in public relations and working in a company like CVS Health is we're out there to do the right thing and, and to find ways that our business can be relevant to better our communities, make a difference in the lives of individuals and families, and frankly, make the world a better place. And that goes back to all those values I talked about that were instilled in me by my parents and my family and certainly at BC High and, and, um, and, and my time at Morrissey Boulevard. Um, that, that's fantastic. I, that, I, that was a great, um, that, I just thought that that was a great um, discussion about that. So thank you for that. I, I, the other thing that I wanted to touch on now is, um, I have two more questions and, and then I, I promise I'll let you go. Um, the, the, the first question is, I wanted to talk about the media landscape. So you've had some time in the media, and then you had a lot of time, you know, dealing with the media. Um, I was hoping you could just kind of touch on the media landscape nowadays, you know, where we are, kind of what you're seeing and, and where we might be headed uh, in terms of the role of the media, the way the media is working, uh, and things like that. Yeah, you know, the, the media landscape is constantly changing, uh, especially in the age of Trump and now in the age of COVID-19, right? Uh, and there's a, a lot of research out there that points to uh, a growing distrust of the news media. I think uh, that level of distrust among uh, consumers remains high. I think there is, just like there's a perception that society is very polarized, so is the media. There's a perception that there's a growing bias mm -hmm. among the media. And I think that um, translates into, um, uh, you know, consumers of news who are absorbing more of an agenda than they are 
absorbing um, um, uh, unbiased news content. You know, there's a reason why people will gravitate to Fox uh, versus CNBC or CNN. Uh, and uh, that has a lot to do with their political orientation. And I think the news media has shaped itself as such in a very polarizing way. Um, I think the adoption of social media has also reshaped the media landscape. News is immediate. Um, news is quick. There's often not a lot of context. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that tends to um, uh, unfairly shape people's uh, opinions and, and, and perceptions of what's happening out there. Then there's this thing called the Trump effect. And, you know, regardless of whether you uh, uh, support uh, President Trump or not, and whatever your political persuasions are, uh, brands and companies now have to compete for coverage with the White House because President Trump is is just so pervasive in the media. He knows how to use the media, and he very often is the lead story of the day. So as, as PR practitioners, we have to be much more creative and innovative um, and, 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 and diligent in trying to get the CVS health story in the media uh, and because we're competing with Washington um, and, and a very, um, in a very real way. Hmm. Let me talk about local media for a second. Sure. One of the concerns I have about local media and part of my responsibility at CVS Health is to get our story out there locally uh, because we're in all 50 states in terms of our operations. Newsrooms at the local level, whether it's local broadcast or local newspapers, continue to atrophy. They're getting smaller um, uh, because of the internet and because of other forces in the media um, uh, and, and the economics of the news business. Um, you know, I think I, I read a statistic somewhere recently that one in five reporters live in three major um, uh, communities, New York, LA, and DC. And that means the local media is getting smaller and smaller. And what concerns me about that is, I think we're gonna head into a period, unless things change, where uh, we will experience a, a, an incredible period of, of corruption at the local level because you don't have the local media the Boston Globes and the Boston Heralds. I mean, we're fortunate enough to have a robust media in Boston, but a lot of communities don't have that where they're putting the checks and balances on uh, our local municipalities and governments to do the right thing and to be transparent. So without that fourth estate, I'm concerned that we're headed for a period of a lot of corruption and a lot of scandal at the local level. Now, the pandemic has certainly changed the media as well. It has exacerbated that atrophy that I talked about at the local level. Mm -hmm. Newsrooms are having to furlough and lay off reporters. Mm -hmm. So they continue to get smaller and have less resources to work with. And even myself, I, I've had a real challenge trying to reach the right journalists to pitch a story uh, or place an executive for an interview. Um, uh, because they're working from home or they've been furloughed or they've been laid off. It's, it's been real challenging, but the media landscape is, is, um, 
um, is changing, but it's still very exciting. And there's a lot of good work out there. Um, what I would say to, to folks that are interested in the public relations field um, that uh, it's exciting because you never work on the same thing. One moment you could be promoting your product and service or placing your CEO um, uh, for an interview on CNBC's Squawk Box or 60 Minutes. And the next you could be on the front lines of a financial crisis or helping your company work through a global pandemic. So there's, a, there's an exciting aspect of PR in what I do, um, but it's not for the faint of heart because <laughs> you have to work constantly and change. Um, you have to deal oftentimes with the most ornery of reporters, um, and, but you have to help your, your company manage through it. So it's, it's rewarding, challenging, um, and always changing at the same time. And I, and I think that's, uh, that's one of the things I like about my job. Gotcha. So the, last, the very last question I have, and, and then I promise I'll let you get back to your day, is um, you talked a little bit earlier about um, not being afraid to take those left-hand turns. I was wondering if you just wanted to share maybe one or two bits of advice for any of the students who might be listening to this podcast who, um, who you know, are kind of looking ahead at, at developing their careers or even uh, some former students who might be at college right now thinking about uh, developing their careers. Uh, I was wondering if you wanted to share any advice to them. Yeah, I think one of the most valuable characteristics or accomplishment a new hire can have or a skill set someone can have in their career is, is be a good listener and a learner, right? Mm -hmm. I think I advanced in my career by continually learning new skills uh, because I took some risks and I, and I wasn't afraid not to have that linear career path. Um, um, and uh, and also not being afraid to enlist colleagues and your bosses and even clients to act as your instructors and your teachers. We're, you know, we, I talked about the value that I saw in, in, in my instructor, instructors and teachers at BC High and certainly at Stonehill College. Um, but we, we, we never, we never, we never, um, uh, we always have access to teachers, even in our careers. And so, but you have to have the ability to not be afraid to ask, will you teach me this? Will you teach me that? You know, when I, when I transitioned from journalism to banking, which was a very stark transition, mm -hmm. um, I found myself in the middle of, uh, Fleet Boston's, uh, 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 acquisition of Shamit Bank. I'm sure some of you remember Shamit Bank. Yep. And I convinced the, the, the chief communications officer at the time to send me to New York and to embed me with the M&A and integration teams so I could learn the finance side of banking, so I could learn the operational side of banking, um, you know, and, and spending time with those, those financial wizards and those, you know, uh, Six Sigma operational efficiency engineers um, only helped to educate me on the company, mm -hmm. uh, how things operated, how things worked. And it made me a better communicator and a better public relations professional uh, for Fleet Boston and eventually Bank of America. So I, I, I think the 
I think the the uh, uh, the lesson here is don't be afraid to continue to be curious in your career and ask for help and and find those mentors because it's going to make you a better professional and it may even open up some interesting doors you never even thought of. Yeah, that totally agree with that. That's fair. Um, well, great, uh, Joe. This has been excellent. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Um, thank you so much for your time and uh, uh, joining us and and sharing. Um, really appreciate it. And I'll, we'll just end by uh, by giving another shout out to the class of ABD four on your behalf. <laughs> well, thanks very much. I've enjoyed the conversation and uh, and best of luck with the rest of the school year. And that does it for this episode of Back to the Point. Just want to say thank you to Joe Good for coming by um, and sharing a little bit about his story with us. Uh, it was great. I had a blast talking to you and really appreciate you taking the time. Um, so, Joe, if you're listening, uh, thank you. And uh, we'll just give him one more obligatory shout-out to the class of 1984 on your behalf. Um, thank you also to Mike O'Brien for just being instrumental in, in pulling the pod together, scheduling, you know, helping figure out who's coming on next. Um, it, it just, just instrumental to making this all happen. So thank you, Mike. And as always, thank you to the fairy pod mother, Kristen Brophy, who is just an incredible sound editor. Can't say it enough. So I'll just keep saying it every single episode. Uh, and most importantly, thank you to all of you for listening today. Um, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.